<coughs> what a wonderful, wonderful song to, to end our uh, song service, or at least get ready to, to preach tonight, amen. And I remember the preachers in the South, they would say, if you can't preach after that type of singing, your wood, if you can't get a fire going, your wood's wet. That's what they would say, amen. And uh, what a blessing. It has been a blessing today. I'm excited for what the Lord is going to do for us tonight. And uh, I want to bring a thought to you here this evening, and I, I hope that everyone can um, understand, I hope you can uh, uh, go back into your life, because the moments that we're going to speak about tonight, the situation we're going to talk about tonight, typically you don't know them till after they happen. It's, it's one of those things in our life that, man, we're going through it, we're going through it, we're going through it, and then something happens, and then all of a sudden you look back a, a day, a week, a year, 10 years, 5, 25 years, whatever it is, and you go, whoo, wow, now the light really switched on, and I see it. And what I call these guys, these are called but God moments, but God moments. You know, it's like, hey, such and such was going to happen, but God, okay? And I think that we can all understand this. We can probably go around the room tonight and probably give 40 testimonies on how God intervened in our life, how he interfered in our life, how he intertwined in our life. Sometimes we were, didn't like it. Sometimes we were like, man, what's going on? I really want to go do this and that. And why can't I move forward here? Why am I taking a step back there? And all of a sudden, years down the road, a week down the road, a month down the road, you go, ah, now I see. That's that but God moment. <clears throat> now the phrase but God appears in the Bible 43 times in 43 verses. Now there's only 66 books in the Bible, so that phrase but God appears in all in 43 of the 66. The very first time it shows up is Genesis chapter 20 and in verse 3, and that's our text verses tonight that we'll be looking at here shortly. It's one of those phrases, guys, which, which brings nothing, I would say nothing but pure joy to one's heart, or it strikes terror into the soul. One of the two. And why fear? I mean, well, you know, the word, the word but changes the direction of something. I was going to go over there, but, or I was going to go out with her, but, you know, all of these different things that were going to happen, and it changes the other side of the street. When we're heading in one direction, guys, and all of a sudden, but God appears, it will bring joy to the servant. It'll bring fear to the sinning, and that's the way it is. The Bible tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Genesis chapter 20 and verses 1 through 3, looking at the very first time that these words appear, the Bible tells us, and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelleth between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned to Gerah. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech, Abimelech king of uh, Gerah, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, guys, there are several men by the name of Abimelech in the Bible. The name, it mean, the name itself means father of a king. And the man that we're seeing here tonight has an, an agreement with Abraham uh, after this encounter in which in reality causes Abraham, uh, caused Abraham, uh, in fact, uh, it caused him to fail in his faith, if you will. He forsook God's promise. He fibbed to the king. Uh, I, understand the, I understand that technically, if you go back, all right, uh, Sarah, who used to be Sarai, uh, he was, uh, she was kind of his sister. She was a partial sister, if you will. Uh, but we all know, we talked about the intentions before. Uh, the intentions was for him to deceive the king because he said, if they know that you're my wife, uh, they're going to kill me and take you for their own. 
So Abimelech, this Philistine king of a place called Gera, uh, in all Ephesus, he's just a pagan. He is a pagan person. He's a pagan man. Uh, he had harems. It was common in that day. And, and as a matter of fact, it was common amongst most, if not all, of the pagans in those uh, societies to have these multiplicity of wives and concubines and so on and so on. Uh, but we need to understand that standards are derived by God. And once God, in his Bible, his church, his people are forsaken, when God's standards are forsaken, there is going to be a but God moment in someone's life. So we find that God intervened first and foremost in Abimelech's life. Believe it. Hey, he's a pagan guy now. He intervenes, guys, with a warning. Look at verse 3 there with me this evening. It says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. Now, I don't know about you. I'll just stop there just a second. Now, we've all had crazy dreams, okay? But I'm going to tell you right now, if God came to me in a dream and says, You're a dead man, I'm telling you right, that's going to strike some fear in my heart and my soul. I, you're not going to sleep any longer, amen. I don't care what you take, drink, whatever. You can ram your head against the wall. If God comes and says, you but a dead man, man, I got some fear going on in my life. And then we find that with Abimelech. He says, behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Conviction of his wrongdoings, his sins, okay, mind you. And there was a warning from God's word to Abimelech's heart. And he was convicted by it. Now, here we have uh, the beautiful part of the warning. And guys, just because Abimelech is a, a lost pagan individual, remember, we're taking an Old Testament story for a New Testament principle, okay? Just because he's lost, don't sit back and say, oh, man, that fear, that's just for the lost people. No, it's not. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God, amen? That's written unto believers, amen? That's written unto believers. As a matter of fact, I'm about to tap into that James 5 message um, here we're going to see in October. As a matter of fact, there comes a time, even with saved, born-again individuals who are living in a backslidden state, God says, I'm done. You're not going to lose your salvation, but God says, I'm finished with you. You're going to keep going down that way? You go ahead. And you say, and you may sit here and go, nope, God never do that. You better read 1 Corinthians 5, 5. To deliver such one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. Amen. Yeah, there comes a time when those that are saved are living like the devil and living like the world and backslidden and they turn their back on God, his principles, his words, his ways, his righteousness, that God just says, okay, fine. That's the way you want to go? You, you carry on, big boy. You keep on going down that road and see what happens. But the beautiful part of this warning here, this beautiful part that we find with Abimelech is that the warning is given to a soul who is outside of the seed of Abraham. This is, what I, this is why I love it. And I love the fact that it appears this is the first time. Now, according to the law of first mention, which stipulates that when a word or a phrase is found for the first time, it establishes the biblical definition of that word. Now, you say, preacher, why do you say biblical definition? Because I'm a Bible believer, okay? I love Webster and all this and that, but he ain't the Bible, Okay. Marion, all them, whatever, Cambridge, they're not the Bible, amen. There's a biblical definition if you study it out and understand it. I'll give you a good, a good for instance here. Many of the Bible correctors out there, they want to uh, slay the Word of God uh, because they don't believe in, what, in what's called preservation of the Word of God. Even though God promised he would do that in Psalm 12, 6 and 7, he promised it. But nevertheless, they believe they're smarter than God and they can write it and say, well, this is what he really means. Can I say this to you guys real quick? I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you some advice tonight, and if you shut me off from this point forward, uh, you'll get the best advice in the world. Any man or any person that gets up and says, "Well, let me tell you what God really meant," right here, all right? 
You know what you can do? Get up, walk out. What you want? Okay. Well, let me give you a better word. No. Best word's right here. And what you got? I'm saying all that to say this, like the word inspiration. The word inspiration has caused more division amongst the camps of Christians, <coughs> Bible-believing Christians, than really any other word out there. You have multiplicity of guys that are there in this camp, there in that camp. I'm not, God didn't call me to go camping, okay? He called me to, to be a Christian, to serve the Lord. And work. I don't even like camping, okay? I don't like a tent. I don't like camping. Uh, I like fires, but I can start a fire in my back garden and go in my bed and go to sleep, amen? If I go camping, it's going to be in an RV. Hallelujah. All right? So I'm not in camps. I'm not in cliques. I'm not like, that's not me. I'm an only child. Don't need a clique, amen? So I'm saying all that to try to get to the point that I'm trying to make here is that that word inspiration shows up two times in the Bible. Job 38, and it shows up in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy, that God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, okay? It's good for reproof, the doctrine, the instruction in righteousness, good for correction, you know, the four pillars that the Word of God is good for. And they take that word inspiration, and they say it's defined as God-breathed. And they get, where do they get that? They get that from Noah Webster. They get it from the Webster's Dictionary, who wasn't around when God wrote that in the first century, mind you. So we go back over there in Job, where it said, where the only other time the word inspiration shows up in all the Bible. And there's one word associated in both of those verses. And guess what word it is? Given. So guess what the biblical definition of the word inspiration is? God gives. Doesn't it? Isn't that all that matters? I don't care if he breathed it, emailed it. Put it on a paper airplane and send it. I don't care. I know that my God gave it. Therefore, it's the word that we have and we need. Now, coming all the way back full circle, the greatest blessing that we find here, one of the great blessings we find within the warning, I should say, this warning, this but God moment under that law first mentioned, is that the first time the phrase shows up, God is dealing. He's speaking to someone outside of the promised seed of Abraham. Abimelech is a Gentile, guys. That's our heritage, by the way. That's our roots, okay? He, he is, he is, a, he is a, a Gentile, and, uh, and God is speaking to him. He's giving him a warning, a warning to someone outside the promised heritage and blessing. You know what God could have done? He could have thumped the guy's head off and been done with it. That's what he could have done. But he didn't. His long servant, his mercy, and his grace... Looked down and said, you know what? Abraham made a mistake. He told a lie over there. And he said, well, it's just a half-truth. Half-truth's whole lie. And so this is what he did. <coughs> and this is what this guy's just doing, what's natural and normal to him. So God visits him. He says, but God. Here, th all of this could have happened. He could have taken him as his wife. He could have done things with her. He could have done those things. But God intervened in Abimelech's life, in this Gentile's life. And Many of the world today, they feel as if the blessings and warnings from the Lord are only for the religious. They're only for the churchgoer. And it's not true, God. God's warnings are for the world. God's warnings are for the nations. They're for the individuals. They're for the families. They're for everyone. Psalm 33, and in verse 12, tells us, um, blessed is the, what in the world is that? Um, we got something crazy going on. Well, we're going to have to skip that tonight, guys. There we go. That's not it either. Yeah, it is. Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. I want you to think about this here tonight. 
I want you to think about it, that if a nation, if we had a nationalistic call tonight that somebody in our political arena took this preserved, purified word of God and said, you know what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make our standard of governmental reign, governmental control, governmental laws, this is going to be our standard. This is how we're going to operate. Here's a good one. Esteem others better than yourself. That's a good law, isn't it? Now, I want you to imagine if your entire neighborhood, your entire street, your entire community applied that one single principle to esteem others better than themselves, to look out after their fellow man, their fellow woman, how many things would that solve? Just about 99% of all the issues and problems that we're dealing with in the world today. Blessed is the nation, blessed is the nation, guys, whose God is the Lord. Mind you, that Lord there in Psalm 33, that capital L, and it's, it's either caps or small caps in your Bible, O-R-D, that's Yahweh. That's God. That's the one who, who created, uh, that's Jehovah, who created everything. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The Bible tells us in Psalm 11, and in verse 3, it says, uh, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, there's the polar opposite, isn't it? Now we got the polar opposite. If you destroy the foundations of the nations, and mind you, our British law here is established from the Word of God. Our British law was taken from the Word of God, and that's how if you get into, you start reading uh, d- different uh, um, lawyers and how the establishment of the law uh, occurred here in our country. When you see that, they took it from the Bible. Okay, when you get away from the Bible, you get your standard away from them, you start destroying the foundations, what's the righteous going to do? Acts 17, uh, the Bible tells us in Acts 17, in verse 30, it says, in the times of this ignorance, we preached on this last week, in the times of this ignorance, uh, um, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now think about it for just a second here. This is what I want you to think about, and we're going to move on to the second point. Now, I hate the 20-mile-an-hour speed limit. We all know that. That's not anything that nobody, that's not a secret. I hate it with every fiber of my being, okay? Don't tell me why they have it. I don't really, I, I don't care. I mean, I, I hate dry, I hate being, I want to go from point A to point B. Well, I want Star Trek's what I want. Just beam me up, take me on. That's what I really want. But anyway, I hate the 50-mile-an-hour speed limit, okay? We all know that. But the standard is 20 miles an hour, isn't it? And you slap a camera up there, and that camera pops you at 30. I can go before the judge all I want, but I don't like it. I didn't feel like going 20 that day. It, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I was going to say something. Mean. Anyway, you know, I can do all that I want to. And he go, yes, sir, but the law is, the standard is 20. And I got you on camera. I got you in your car, and you're angry yelling at someone. I got you. You're busted, Okay. Because that's the standard. Guys, the standard today is to repent away from where we were. The standard for Abimelech on this night when God intervened 
was for him to turn the opposite direction, to do something that he was not going to do himself, but the conviction from that warning came in. It was a but God moment for his life. And there's a, there should be a but God moment in our life, but many of them, if you will, because God has intervened on our behalf. He intervened on our behalf on the cross of Calvary, amen. And that same man that stood in between us and hell, that one that took our sins and nailed them to the cross, who became sin, who knew no sin, that one that shed all his blood to cover a multiplicity of sin, to separate them as far as the east is from the west, that one that did that, we're going to be judged by everything that is in his book and his word. Amen. But I didn't read it. You're still going to be held accountable. Well, I didn't see the speed limit. You're still going to be held accountable because that's the standard. So the first time but God appears in the Bible, it appears as the intervening hand of God Almighty on behalf of a sinful man who is part of a sinful nation. What a difference, guys. Do you believe? Listen carefully. What a difference do you believe can be made in a person's life when there is a but God moment? How many opportunities have you had in this world to simply wreck your entire life but God? Beloved, there are decisions and choices that we make as young people which place us in a box. And it limits us on what we can and will do in the future. There are people whose lifetime and young, young person's dream was to become a, an attorney and then eventually an FBI agent. And yet they made a choice as a 17 or 18-year-old. And they got a record. And there is no explaining away. There is no reason why. You've just taken the box of your opportunity and you've, you've shortened it up because you'll never be an FBI agent. You'll never be an MI6. You'll never have a high-ranking governmental position that's going to require that type of security. Why? Because of the decision and choice that you made. And yet there's been time after time after time after time in our lives that we were getting ready to make a decision that was going to wreck us. It was going to shorten that box up even more. But God intervened. That's what we find in Abimelech's life. He's getting ready to mess up, that boy was. Abimelech's getting ready to wreck him and the whole nation. And God said, hang on a second. Let me go see this guy in the dream. So we see God's intervening hand with a warning. The second thing, I want you to watch this. This wasn't part of what we've already read. But you're going to see it in a moment. <clears throat> we, see a second, we see a second but God moment with God's withholding. Now, we're afraid of the warning sometimes. But we have temper tantrums over the withholding. Notice in there in verses 4 through 6, it says, But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay and also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself, said he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands, have I done this? And God said unto him in a dream, Yeah, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also, watch this, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now here's a sinful pagan man. Here's the example. I, I, I mean, I, they're, they're, the Bible is filled with God's example of his grace. But guys, I, I got to be flat honest with you. You guys have probably read Genesis 20 a thousand times and read over this and Abimelech and maybe you mispronounced his word six or seven times and the places he's from and all this and just said, man, let me just get out of this story and get to the other stuff. 
But you want to talk about a picture of God's grace. Abimelech is a lost pagan man, king of Gera, a Philistine, the perpetual enemy of God's people. These are the same people, man, that Goliath came out of who mocked out the nation of God. These are worshipers of Dagon and Baal. And yet the Lord withheld him from committing a sin which would have altered the rest of his life and quite possibly the nation's existence. Think there, stop for just a second, okay? (laughs) What if God said, okay, I'm going to let you go in there and desecrate that woman. I'm going to let you go in there and do what you do because you're a pagan, all right? And he does it. And God says, all right, hey, big boy, I'm going to judge you in this now. I'm wiping you all out. You're done. You'd have never had David and Goliath. You wouldn't have had the Ark of the Covenant stolen. Uh, You wouldn't have had um, the armies of the Philistines being an enemy against Israel and perpetual wars and fights and fighting. You'd have had none of those things. Gone. Why? Because God said, well, I'll just let you do what you normally do naturally. And God said, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I know there's going to be trouble down the road here. Yeah, I know you guys are going to be enemies all the time. I know you're going to steal the most, the most precious emblem uh, that Israel had, the Ark of the Covenant, that contained the tablets and the, and the, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the staff that budded. I, I, know, I know that. I, I know you're going to do that. I mean, that Ark of the Covenant was so precious. It was to be carried one way. David made a mistake, got himself a new cart, put it on there. Uzzah touched it because the ox deal, and God killed Uzzah. Guess what? If God would have let this happen with Abimelech, Uzzah would have lived. Why would have Uzzah lived? Because they didn't, they, there wouldn't have been a Philistine to steal the Ark of the Covenant. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? God could have justified everything, but you know what he wanted to do? He knew there was a promised seed that was coming through that precious woman, Sarah. He knew Abraham lied. He wasn't covering it up. He wasn't overlooking it, but he was protecting Not only Sarah, but he was protecting this man Abimelech and the rest of the people. God's withholding in our life. His delays are not always his denials in our life. I mean, most of us in here got a little age on us. Some of us more than others, but nonetheless, amen. I'm talking about Kelton when I said that, not me. So I'm just kidding. We did that IROCs yesterday. There's 153 years between me and and Lenny and uh, Mandy, 153 years. Anyway, some of us can go back. I'm sure everybody can go back when they were teenagers or they were little kids, and you know you liked someone, and you know, and it just didn't work out. You're like, man, I really like that person. I really want. Why can't I be with that person? That person doesn't like me. You know, you wrote your little notes. Will you be my girlfriend? Checkbox, tick, yes or no. I mean, you all did that stuff, and just didn't work out. I'm saying all that to say this, guys. God's withholding hand at times, even though at the present moment, it may be miserable. Yeah, but I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to be this. And God says, no, not yet. Not right now. We don't know what God's doing right now. We do know if we'll just trust him, it'll sure work out in the long run. There's some dark things that we've all been through in our life, and we didn't understand why. And we didn't know why, when we were going through them, what fruit it was going to yield down the road. But God knew. Guys, God established a covenant with Abraham through Sarah. The Bible tells us in Genesis 17 and verse 21 and 22, it says, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee 
at this, uh, this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. How many of us have just looked back across history in our life, and we see areas that had God allowed us what we wanted to do, the desires of our heart, man, we'd have lost it all. Think about the near misses in our life. You know when a plane, they almost hit one another? You know what? That's called a near miss, okay? And they're really and truly, there's more <laughs> near misses than you realize. Um, think about the opportunities, the days, and the times of being in the right place at the right time, and even looking at moments when theoretically we made a bad choice, yet somehow, some way, God just intervened and said, you know what? I'm not condoning what you're doing. I'm not covering it up, but... You're just stupid sometimes, so let me move you over here and save you from the mess you're about to make, amen? Honestly, man, we, we you know, some people say, you know, you know, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, you just made a bad choice, and you made it on your fault. You made that choice because you made a stupid choice, and you need to own that, amen? Well, I just, no, you know, own it. The only way you're going to learn from something is that you own it, Okay? Own up to it. I made a mistake. I was wrong. It was dumb. I shouldn't have done it. Here we go. Let's move on forward. But God's intervening hand, the but God moments in our life, this intervening hand of the Lord, which not only changed the outcome, but also the place you positioned yourself in. I could spend the next hour up here filling your cup up with dumb things I've done that God just says, my goodness, I got, he works overtime with me. I mind you that. We see God's intervening hand with a warning. We see God's intervening hand with withholding. And lastly tonight, I want you to see how he intervened by a witness, <coughs> by a witness tonight. Down in verse 7, then we're going to skip, skip down to verse 17 and 18. The Bible says, so Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. Here's what had happened, is God locked up the wounds um, there in that Philistine nation, locked them up because Sarah was, he, you know, because Abimelech had taken Sarah. So that was another thing God's hand had, had done. So Abraham prayed for him. And, uh, and, and so we find here that a Abraham prayed. That was verse 7 I was telling. That's where he locked up the wounds. We didn't read that verse. Verse 18 says, For the Lord had fast closed up all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, just imagine this. When Abimelech heard from God, think about who he is, where he is from, and now what he became. He was, he was from a vile nation, guys, a people who were against God. And yet God, because of his infinite mercy, because of the covenant that he was protecting that was through Isaac, God's no respecter of person. God would have all souls to be saved. We have talked about this time and time again. The witness was for a people who aren't a people. The witness was, was the intervening hand of the Lord on behalf of a Gentile nation who knew not God. God had chosen Abraham to be the father of many nations. The covenant was with him to be passed down to Isaac through the birth, uh, through the birth by Sarah, then to Jacob, the 12 tribes. But for what purpose? Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6 tells us, and he said, it is, a, is it a light thing uh, that thou shouldest uh, be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee, talking about the nation of Israel, I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles 
that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Well, but the but God moment that happened to this Gentile nation over here in Genesis chapter 20 speaks of the witness that God has given into, throughout all of the history of mankind. And it speaks unto us today as a church, as a group of Gentiles on a Gentile island who somehow, some way, God's intervening hand came and brought the gospel to a land that was filled with pagans. God's intervening hand in our life, but God. We could have been born at any time in the world. I know I've, I've, I've belabored that point. You and I could have been born in 10 A.D., okay? 10 A.D., before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we could have lived our life and heard faint stories about this and that and how Christians got saved and came through that Roman army and, and started talking about this. But meanwhile, we're trying to save our lives and heading to the hills and we're getting in the valleys of Wales and the, and the highlands of, uh, of, of Scotland and trying to get rid of those Romans because they're trying to kill everybody they get in contact with while they're building roads, right? Amen. And then we can hear about this faint story of this guy that died on a cross and was buried, rose up again. What's that about? I mean, average lifespan in the first century, guys, was only about 50 years old. Make it to A.D. 60, Paul's not even dead yet. If we're born in A.D. 10 and we don't live past A.D. 60, my goodness, the gospel may not have made it over here yet. So I'm saying all that to make this point. God put us where he did for a particular reason. With a preserved, purified word of God, with a pure gospel, a simple gospel right here. It was a but God moment that intervened into our life. Intervene with the soul this day, thousands of years to ensure a nation to be born, that his word would be upheld under the light of the glorious gospel offered to a people without God. Acts in 13, verse 47 says, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light unto the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And I tell you what, when Paul got that mess, when 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 God put this on Paul's heart, and mind you, by the time Acts 13 is occurring, Paul had been saved 14 years, 14 plus years. He already knew where he was going. This is his first mission journey. Guys, we're encouraged by Isaiah 50, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. You know, you're going to get in some dark times in your life. We're all going to hit them. We're going to get in those places. And there's some times that we just can't, we're going to be robbed of sleep, and we just don't understand why. I want you to go back to this time in Abimelech's life, this but God moment in Abimelech's life, and understand that we have the blessed opportunity to have our but God moments today because of what he has done. Here we are, a people who are not a people, a nation who is not a nation, a people who had no God, no hope, and yet the Lord's intervening hand, that but God moment, not only came to us as individuals, but as a nation, as a group of people who God would make sure the gospel fell into our land and then across the seas so that souls would be saved and born again. A time fails us tonight for me to go through the, uh, the historicity of, of how the gospel made it right here. But the Welsh Baptist, guys, the Welsh Baptist dates back in this land to 66 A.D. Now, you do your math on that one. You go back to 66 A.D. when, when Claudia and them brought that gospel back over, those Roman servants who heard Paul the apostle speak the word of God himself, amen, that Roman lady married to that Welshman. 
You say, ah, wells wasn't existing then. You know what I'm talking about. This dirt right here, amen. This land. Why? Because what the Lord said to Peter. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his light. I don't know about you tonight, but I've had more but God moments in my life than I deserve. I, 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 my but God moments, I can't even begin to list them. We don't have time. But when you look through the Word of God and you see how God's hand intervened into people's life, and the first time that phrase shows up, it's dealing with a Gentile nation and a Gentile man who knew not God, who was without hope in this world in the midst of darkness, and God just shined a little bit of light down into his life. And it just makes me think of myself. It should make you think of you. It should make you be thankful and have the utmost gratitude to the one who sent the light of the glorious gospel into your life so that but God moment shines forth in your days, and I hope in the days to come. Will you bow your heads this evening? Father, we thank you, Lord, for who and what you are, for all that you've done. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would please have your mighty hand in our life, that you would please touch us, Lord. Let us not be soon forgetful of that which we've heard this evening. And, Lord, I pray as we sing our (coughs) our closing song tonight, I simply ask you, Lord, to help us go back to those moments in our life where God's intervening hand, where you intervened in a mighty way, sometimes so subtle, Father, as you told Elijah, but that still small voice, sometimes so so magnificent as Elisha opened up the eyes of the people that the chariots of fire were seen and everything in between. Father, I pray tonight, touch our hearts and tender us, Lord. Let us be mindful, dear God, of everything we do, everything we say. But, Father, let us be thankful for the but God moments, the warnings, the withholdings, and the witness that you've given. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.